0: making people's lives better.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We've all heard of Zoomers going back to learn their family history. Now there's a Toronto community doing that for its historic neighbourhood. The area of Toronto between Bloor College and Spadina and Bathurst is known as Harbord Village. Coming up, we'll talk to some people who lived there at least 40 years ago and the Harbord Village History Project. And why seniors shouldn't get discounts. That's the title of the article that set off a national debate about those price breaks we've all come to expect as we age. Carp Susan Eng and Zoomer Media's David Kravitz will weigh in. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Emergency room overcrowding is the focus of a report by the Canadian Association of Emergency Physicians. The group says overcrowding is not caused by inappropriate use or patients without a family doctor, but by a lack of hospital beds. The association wants the federal government to set ER wait-time benchmarks and report on how those targets are being met. Canada ranks 33rd out of 34 in a 2009 study of acute care bed availability in countries belonging to the OECD. We only have 1.7 beds for every 1,000 Canadians. This week, there was a huge controversy over a story we reported last week, the new American guidelines for preventing heart attacks and strokes. Some leading authorities charged that these new guidelines wildly overestimated risk and would put too many people on cholesterol-lowering drugs called statins. But the American Heart Association experts are sticking to their recommendations. They say any flaws in the formula are small and doctors should not delay implementing the new advice. It may be a good time to sell your home if you're thinking about downsizing. Global ratings agency Fitch says Canadian real estate could be in for a soft landing after 12 years of soaring house prices. It adds that in some markets, homes are overpriced by up to 26%. Fitch warns a drop of 10% is not out of the question and suggests that will have a negative impact on the Canadian economy. And finally, Elvis Presley has new management. This week, Elvis Presley Enterprises was purchased for an undisclosed sum by the Authentic Brands Group. The company already manages Marilyn Monroe's and Muhammad Ali's brands, now they will acquire rights to Elvis's photos, music, movie, and TV appearances. Currently, the Elvis brand brings in about $32 million a year in revenue. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. You can get them on everything from public transit to toothpaste with free education and cut-rate hotel rooms for good measure. The seniors discount has been a mainstay of life as we age. This week, BC Ferries slashed its seniors discount. Instead of provoking a backlash, it opened a national debate on the question, why should Zoomers get price breaks just because of their age? I'm here with Susan Eng, CARP's VP of Advocacy, and Zoomer Media Vice President David Kravat. The big issue here is that
3: some people still need those discounts. And it is true. A lot of people don't. And I know a lot of people would rather not admit their age and, and just leave the discount on the, on the table. But uh, I think it's important. They do care, however, what happens to the people who do need the discount. And so we, before we take them all away, we want to make sure that people are able to afford the kinds of things that they need. And the discount helps.
4: I think we have to separate discounts that are offered <clears throat> by a for-profit or a private sector company as a marketing edge. And those are not given based on need. Those are given actually on the opposite, based on affluence and on a proclivity to be spending.
2: Shoppers Drug Mart offers the discount to people who are 55. I mean, to me, that seems, <laughs> what do you mean 55 is not a senior? Well, that makes David's and point. So w- w- what do you say to... Uh, uh, younger people who are, are jumping on this bandwagon and they're saying, actually, it's us, it's millennials who are challenged. You know, we need a, not just a millennial discount, a screwed millennial discount.
4: <laughs> I think it's a very vivid way of putting it, putting it across the case. Um, I think in the, again, to go back to the private sector, they're going to be out of luck because if they don't have the buying power, the merchants will be a l- little less eager to embrace them. If they had means testing, would they be saying... Uh, You aren't entitled to any discount on the grounds of age. You are on the grounds of need and we will extend drug benefits, the ODB, to every age based on need. Let the chips fall where they may based on income. So the seniors, the the Zoomers, would give up any rights – attributable solely to their age, they become just another taxpayer with another income. My income is too high. I don't get any drug benefits. My income is lower. I get drug benefits. I could be 20. I could be 40. I could be 60. That's an interesting argument which is coming coming down the road. There's
2: there's another whole element to that and that is that people with good jobs uh, have coverage for drugs, but that coverage cuts off at even if you're still working, it cuts off at 65 or 70. Right. So it's and and I guess there's there's a line where if you have to take a lot of drugs, even if you do have a decent income, it could really really eat into it. Right.
4: You but could then, be drug then,
2: poor instead of no, house no, poor. You're
4: right. You're absolutely right. But then they would have uh, presumably there would be some formula. What I'm I'm only framing that the debate is going to occur. Wait a minute. Let's just have one big pool and take care of everybody below who doesn't have the money, because drugs are important to everybody. I'm really saying is that they may not assign the value to age purely on the grounds well, of in age fact, that, that argument they used is, to have. That, that debate
3: honest. has already been engaged, and that is the promise of Pharmacare, a national Pharmacare program, first dollar coverage for all Canadians, income tested. And so that really resolves the issue of making sure that public dollars are spent according to need and uh, universal access according to need. And, and I think that's the right way to go.
4: I do think, though, that the topic will be stirred up by the millennials. I think this is not a question that some seniors woke up one day and decided to do a little bit of navel-gazing. This is the younger generation saying, I have needs that are more serious than yours, and why don't I get a discount? And I think as long as that pressure keeps up, in some cases it will work, maybe school tuition. I think generally in the market it won't really work.
2: And is this going to escalate uh, generational warfare? It does. You know, it goes further
3: too because you're talking about people who have their property taxes deferred, and sometimes it's income tested, and sometimes it's not income tested, just based on age. And I think, as as a rule, we want to get away from using age as the determinant of whether or not certain well, benefits that's are covered. Yeah, uh, but I think but but until but we also have something
2: to replace I it, I have to, I have to bring something up here because there is an issue of universality, and you know, getting everything means tested, it's it's to a certain extent, it can be kind of degrading. And I think isn't part of this that when you get to a certain age, maybe there are certain things that you are entitled to without having to go through that process of proving you're poor.
3: I think that's become sort of a collision of values, whether or not we basically say we've paid enough into the system, we want a bit of it back at the other end, or whether it, it says it doesn't matter. We have to look after only those who are in need at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, so if,
4: if, it's, if it's money, it's going to wind up being tested somehow. If it's an abstract value, if you say I want to or honor the senior citizens or I want to... No one's doing that, I've that got, anymore. I've got street signs that say careful seniors crossing. It would be easy to say seniors get to sit on the bus and kids have to stand, whatever it is. But the hard stuff, the where you're getting the clash is where there's real money on the table. The boomers as a generation... We ourselves are defining senior out of existence. We're young, we're vigorous, we're there. So how do we, why would it come as a surprise it, when people say, well, wait a minute, you know, you're so busy telling me how capable you are and how employed you are and how wealthy you are. And I, so, you know, I don't think you deserve anything special on account of age. You may deserve it on account of other circumstances, but not just age. If you're reinventing aging, does the logical conclusion mean we're reinventing seniorhood eventually out of existence. As they say, the first rule of wing walking is make sure
3: you have something to hang on to before you let go of what you have. And for that, I'm t- speaking of those people who do need that discount, you know, when it adds up, you know, if oh, yeah, all sure. of your d- daily needs, if there is a discount that mm-hmm. it helps people get by. And until we give them something else to help them get by, I would resist getting rid of the current uh, seniors discounts. Okay.
2: Okay. Susan, David, thanks so much. Thank Thank you. you. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. How much do you know about the neighborhood you live in, its history, culture, and the people who lived there long before you? A group of people who live in Toronto's Harvard Village set out to preserve that history, and they'll join us next.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, Making people's lives better. Have you ever wondered about the history of your neighbourhood? Who lived there
2: 50 or 100 years ago? Was it transformed by successive waves of immigration or major shifts in the economy? The community in Harbord Village, the area bounded by Bloor College, Spadina and Bathurst in downtown Toronto took on a project to preserve those memories. Here to tell us about it is Eleanor Levine, who interviewed dozens of old-timers, including Francis Gotkin, John Scalpella, and Harvey Jacobs.
5: I interviewed 100 people who lived in that neighbourhood, but it had to be at least 40 years ago, up from 40 years ago until 85 years ago. And I interviewed people in their 90s, their 80s, and some very young ones who are, how old, 50?
1: (laughs) 50s. Francis, I moved to Major Street in 1941 at the age of seven and uh, left there when I got married in 1954. (laughs) So I have uh, a background of a long time ago, I guess, (laughs) of knowing all the people on the street and the shopping and the different areas. It was just a great place to grow up. So what Do you think it's important for us to know,
2: to remember, to preserve about that time in that neighborhood?
1: Well, I think uh, history is important. And uh, I believe that uh, you should know where you were and where you came from. And if you have happy memories, why not share them? And most of us did And it was during the war and the air raids and where we sat on the porches because everything was blacked out so you would communicate, yelling across the street or whatever. You weren't allowed to run in the street, but you could yell. (laughs) And uh, making all the friends that I've kept a lot of the friends I made then. It was just a wonderful time of living there. My brother lives there now. He moved back and he loves it there.
5: It's, it's been a very, very colorful neighborhood, and we're just north of Kensington Market. We're just west of the University of Toronto, and it's a neighborhood that uh, waves of immigration came through, and as people lived there, they were very poor. So the first floor, which is small, would have had a whole family. The second floor, which is small, would have had another family. If there's a third floor, there would have been some borders there, one bathroom, one kitchen. And I'm interested in the waves of immigration and how people lived there, welcomed others, helped each other, and then they moved on when they became successful because that was a measure. We're successful. We're not staying here. And I can give you one example of a family bought a house there, say, 50 years ago, and no bank would give them a mortgage because it was a slum, and the bank didn't want to lose its money in a slum. (laughs) So that really interested me, and John can talk about when his family moved there, it had been very Jewish for many years, and then it was
6: changing. My story was a bit of a from a different uh, generation, a different era, from the 60s. My parents uh, came from, uh, from Malta, and the first neighborhood they moved into was the in those days the South Annex, Harvard Village today. They never left. My mom lived in the same house until she passed away in June on Harvard Street. Uh, Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, it's the exact story that she said. As wave after wave became more successful, they moved away. My parents in the seven, early 70s tried to sell the house and move to Scarborough like everybody else or Mississauga. They could not sell it. Thank God they actually stayed because the neighborhood after a while became gentrified and it's quite successful. Okay, Harvey. Uh, yeah. Uh, my, uh, I uh, was born on Borden in 1938. Uh, two years later, we moved to Major Street, uh, very close to where Frances lived. We lived at 113. She was in the two-number figures. Uh, and we lived there till I was 10. Uh, I went to the same public school as she did. And then at, at 10, I moved north of Bloor, where my parents bought a house. And uh, I hated leaving my roots, and so I continued to lie about Uh, still living a major so that I wouldn't have to change schools because I did love Lansdowne Public School. That was my my life. Uh, I had the same feelings that Francis has about uh, the friends and all that. And uh, where we moved was just north of Bloor. So when we went shopping, we continued. Even today, I I would go to Harvard Bakery. I still go there.
2: Ellie, are you trying to get something back from the old neighborhood for today?
5: No, I I don't feel we're we're trying to get something back. We don't want to lose those fabulous stories. One of the things that is quite striking is people lived in poverty at that time, but they were happy. And I'm not naive thinking, oh, rich people can't be happy. But they lived in close quarters, children shared rooms, very, very crowded conditions – Um, Nobody has an air conditioning, so that's one of the reasons they used the front porches. It was very social, and the kids played on the street, and the parents hang out on the the porches and um, got along uh, so well with each other. So I'm not trying to recapture that, but I'm trying to not let those wonderful
2: stories and memories die. Okay. On that note, we'll wrap it up. Thank you so much. You can see the exhibit at the Miles Nadal JCC until December 15th or go to harvardvillagehistory.ca and click on Oral History Project. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. One of the world's most famous comedy troupes is reunited. In just a moment, we'll enjoy the absurdly funny music of Monty Python's Flying Circus.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
2: Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. All things Zoomer worldwide, it's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Ethan Hawke stars along with Anne-Marie Duff in the Broadway revival of Shakespeare's Macbeth. The murderer's Tale of Toil and Trouble is directed by Jack O'Brien, who says Ethan Hawke is a glorious everyman. Macbeth is on stage at the Vivian Beaumont Theater. At the Art Institute of Chicago, it's an exhibition that will whet your appetite. American Painting, Culture, and Cuisine is a series of still-life paintings of food, which also reflects the cultural context. And in Paris, the nude man in art is celebrated at the Musee d'Orsay. Visitors may get more than what's advertised, though. A man stripped at the opening party, and another did so outside the museum on opening day. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Day book. One of the world's most famous comedy troupes, Monty Python's Flying Circus, is reuniting for a special performance. This week, the players announced they will be staging a one-off show at London's O2 Arena in July, and they promise it'll include a little comedy, a lot of pathos, some music, and a tiny bit of ancient sex. The group last performed together in 1980 in Los Angeles, and it's been four decades since they graced a UK stage. Terry Gilliam joked that the five surviving pythons... Terry Jones, John Cleese, Michael Palin, Eric Idle, and himself decided to do the show to, quote, try to remind ourselves that we're funny and important and famous. The Python said the London show will include animation, material that had never been performed live before, and some of their best-loved sketches, including the dead parrot and crunchy frog skits from their heyday. But Cleese said he won't reprise his Ministry of Silly Walks, because he now has an artificial knee and hip. Right now, we'll hear one of the popular songs they will likely sing during their reunion. From the life of Brian, here is Always Look on the Bright Side of Life.
7: Some things in life are bad They can really make you mad Other things just make you swear and curse When you're chewing on life's gristle That grumble, give a whistle when you're feeling in the dumps, da, be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing, eh? Hey. Always look on the bright side of life. Come on. Always look on the bright side of life. For life is quite absurd and death's the final word. You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your scene Give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance anyhow. the So always look on the prize You come from nothing, you know what I say? Cheer up, oh, you old bugger. Come on, give us a quiz. There you are. See? It's the end of the film. Incidentally, this
2: record's available oh, in the foyer. So that was Monty Python with Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. This week, the remaining members of the comedy troupe announced they will be reuniting for a special performance at London's O2 Arena on Canada Day. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Louise Neimer. Thanks for joining me today. Come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer
0: worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrea.
1: This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.